Welcome back to the Harvard Alumni for Education Perspectives podcast. This is a podcast that features Harvard alumni working in the field of education who have interesting perspectives, experiences, and knowledge for the benefit of the Harvard alumni community and the public in general. I'm Vanessa Berry, the president of Harvard Alumni for Education Shared Interest Group, and today we are joined by Michelle Brown. Michelle is the founder and CEO of CommonLit, an award-winning nonprofit education technology organization that's dedicated to improving adolescent literacy rates. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to be here. Thanks, Vanessa. And Michelle, you were a graduate of the EPM program in 2014 from Harvard's Education School. Yeah, that's right. And when you were there, who did you who did you study with? Um, so I was there for a year. Um, my advisor was Dr. Ronald Ferguson, who was actually one of the earliest um, supporters. Um, and I thought of Common Lit when I was actually sitting on his sofa in his office. That's incredible. Um, I also studied under Nani Rousseau, who is one of the great professors of adolescent literacy. Um, and somebody who are, we reference all the time here at Commonwealth, um, Heather Hill, and I could go on, but those are some of the, some of the great ones. So I, I just remember you and I reconnected here in Washington, D.C. It must have been back in 2015, is that yeah, right? That at 1776 right. was Incubator? We were both there. And I, I just, from that point, Point until today, seeing your growth and, and being in the same city and getting to celebrate these very big milestones that your organization has, has, has reached has been really exciting. So for the listeners out there, can you describe your journey post-Harvard to where you all are today because I know that Common Lit was 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 founded. You founded this organization actually during your time at Harvard. So can you tell us a little bit about that that journey uh, of founding the organization to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so my background, you know, prior to going to Harvard, I was a teacher. I was a seventh grade through Teach for America, um, and I taught seventh grade in a high-poverty school in rural Mississippi. And so on day one, when I walked into that classroom, I had no resources, no books, no materials, nothing. And my students there were three and four years behind in reading. So I had that experience um, and just felt completely behind in terms of just like helpless in terms of accessing resources that I needed to build a curriculum that would ensure that my students would leave my class with the skills that they needed to graduate high school. Um, How long were you at that school for? Yeah, so I was there in Itabina, Mississippi, which is actually B.B. King's hometown, uh, for two years for TFA. And what made you decide to apply to Harvard's education school? Did you know that you were going to, was that part of your plan 
to begin with when you before you even started teaching in this school or no it really wasn't so my journey to Harvard was um, you know I, I taught uh, in the Mississippi Delta for two years and then I actually moved to teach in Boston at a high-performing charter school network called Uncommon School um, which is actually and the school where I taught is actually where John King Jr. Uh, the former Secretary of Education used to be the founder Wow. And so this school was phenomenal, and they poured resources into my development as a teacher. And so it was kind of like the experience of going from a completely under-resourced school to moving to a very highly resourced school where I saw what worked in education. That was what led me to decide to get a master's degree. I was thinking, how can I grow my impact for more than just you know, the 30 students who are sitting in the class to have sort of a broader difference. Um, and so that's what led me to the education policy and management program. And when you started at HGSC, did you think that you were going to leave having founded an organization? Or did you think that you could perhaps, you were going to work in policy? What what were your goals or ambitions when you entered the program? Yeah, all I knew when I entered the program was that I wanted to make a difference at scale. Um, but if you had told me that I would be the founder of a high-growth tech company, I never would have believed you. That was never what I thought. It was never in the cards for me. I was a literature major in college. Um, I was a reading teacher. Um, so that was really never my goal. Um, what led me to it was almost kind of a frustration with how slow policy moves. Um, and so that's what I was sharing with Dr. Ronald Ferguson when I was in his office that day, was just, you know, I, what, you know, how, what can I do here? Um, and he really put the question back to me and said, well, what is one thing that you you could give back? What is one thing that you do better than anyone else that you would bet your professional career on? Um, and that thing is teaching children how to read and write. So he said, well, that's great. You should start a company. Um, and I thought, wait, wait a minute. I don't know about that. Um, was that the first time that that idea kind of came into your, into your mind was as you mentioned earlier, on the couch of his office, you're in office hours, and he, you're, you're sitting there getting guidance for your, your year, your 10 months in Cambridge. And was that the first seed of, of what's now Commonwealth? Yeah, I mean, before then, I was just going to go to class every day. Um, and that moment in his office changed everything for me. Um, so he actually said, you know, why don't you pitch me an idea? So one week from that day, um, we booked a time for the next meeting. And he said, you know, you got to, you got to come with a deck. And I thought, what's a deck? It's like, you know, like a business plan, like a deck of your, what you're going to do. Um, so I was so inspired by that. I left his office and, um, that was just like the kick in the pants that I needed to actually go home and do it. 
And 24 hours later, I had bought the domain name commonlight.org and had, you know, the inklings of what I was going to build. Now, did you, when you were at, when you were at Harvard, did you utilize resources like the Innovation Lab, uh, other, other resources at the education school or Harvard University? Obviously, you were using uh, access to office hours with different professors. Were there any particular resources that, that you used while at Harvard to build the organization uh, and also to get the word out about the organization? Absolutely. Um, so there were two resources that I tapped into that actually weren't at um, the business school or at the education school. It was at the law school. Oh. Um, so the law school has two clinics. One is called the Transactional Law Clinic, and the other one is called the Harvard Berkman Center. And the Transactional Law Clinic, um, you know, they'd get uh, second and third year HLS students, um, and for just like a couple hundred dollars, they will write your articles of incorporation for you um, and file everything, which is such, you know, was going to be such a heavy lift for me in the beginning. Um, and then the Harvard Berkman Center specializes in cyber law, um, which was one of the earliest hurdles that we had to overcome as an organization. And the cyber law clinic um, counseled me early on um, to go the non can you talk a little bit about that decision? Because I know that, that that was something that I had a curiosity and asked you about when we first reconnected in 2015 at 1776 was just that, your decision to incorporate as a nonprofit versus a for-profit. Can you, can you ex expand on, on your decision-making process? behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll start by just saying that uh, nonprofit organizations in the ed tech space are extraordinarily rare. Um, so some, but there are some big examples. Probably everyone is familiar with Khan Academy um, or Wikipedia. And it's sort of hard to imagine a world without Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, it's just so ingrained. Um, but there aren't that many others. And I think the reason is that it's really hard to start a nonprofit ed tech organization. Um, but at the end of the day, my goal was to create a completely free online reading program that could be openly accessible to any child and any teacher, even in the most rural and most high in the highest poverty areas. Um, and I wanted to design a tool with those high poverty schools in mind. And when you incorporate as a nonprofit organization, it gives your entire organization the right incentives to do that. Now, when you're talking about this is a tool, common lit is a tool in these high poverty areas, have you found any challenges with internet access because your tool commonlit is and maybe maybe you should also give an overview of what commonlit is because it's entirely internet internet based it's accessed via via the web 
so sure yeah so um so what it is is it's a free online reading program uh, for teachers and students in grades 5 to 12 and so the way it works is teachers go online they browse our library we have hundred we have thousands now of news articles poems short stories um, and most of the works that we get are actually donated from authors and publishers and states because of our mission. So we have, the, the core of this is we just have great content, uh, the kind of literature that you would want your own children to read in school. Um, and then we use technology to build uh, built resources for struggling readers. So, for example, we have read aloud. Um, so children can listen to the text read aloud. Uh, we have a layer of guiding questions um, called guided reading for struggling readers. We have um, and a whole assessment platform built in so that teachers can track student progress and see in real time which students need extra support. Um, and so that's the vision. That's what we've built. Uh, but you're absolutely right that you know, especially in low-income schools and in high-poverty schools, and I know this very well, uh, technology is an issue. Um, broadband is an issue. So we are actually have designed the program uh, to specifically work with those models. Um, so some of our features are very low bandwidth. In the next year, we'll be building an app um, that is both online and offline accessible. Um, but these are like technical challenges that we're really focused on. And how do teachers and students and possibly parents find out about CommonLit? What is the, what kind of outreach are you all doing to get the word out about this resource? Um, you know, it's funny, we don't have a marketing budget, um, but we are blowing up. We are growing like wildfire. And when we look at the numbers and we look at where our teachers are and how they're finding us, it looks like it's primarily word of mouth. Wow. So teachers are literally walking down the hall and they're telling other teachers about it. And when you started, did you start with a couple of pilot programs in specific schools in the Cambridge area? Yeah, that was actually my thesis for, it was my independent study um, at Harvard was a pilot study with nine classrooms in Boston who used what I would call a very early prototype of common lit. And um, that was back in 2014? That's right. So in 2014, you had nine classrooms with how many students? About 200 students. And today, so it's December 21st, 2017. Mm -hmm. How many, how many users or classrooms, I don't know if you count by class, classrooms, how many users do you have today? So today we serve over 3 million registered teachers and students. Those are in over 40,000 schools across the nation. Incredible. From all 50 states. Wow, Michelle. <laughs> so I recently, I read, I saw on Facebook, uh, an article that DC Inno published that said that Common Lit is growing at a rate, is it faster than Facebook or on par with Facebook? What was the, 
Yeah, so this is an exciting statistic, and it's actually my favorite one to share. So Common Lit hit its 1 millionth registered user the same rate as Facebook. Unbelievable, so it Michelle. It took Facebook 11 months. It took Common Lit 11 months. But then, after we reached our 1 millionth registered user, we actually tripled our user base in the next four months. So that's where we are now. Huge. And today we're gaining over 20,000 new registered teachers and students per day. Unbelievable. Wow. So exciting. Um, what, what, what advice do you have for alumni who are listening or current students who are listening or those who are not affiliated at all with the Harvard alumni, with, with Harvard, what, what advice do you have for individuals who want to do something and make a difference and are, are inspired to start an organization? Given what you've, what you've done in such a short amount of time, I think the first time you and I met was at the HGSE's TEDx conference. And I remember watching you present and really taking note of your cl the clarity of your vision and mission, even in that TEDx talk that you gave. And then serendipitously seeing you at another talk at 1776 and going up, and for those who are listening, 1776 is an incubator based here in Washington, D.C. And seeing you, spotting you from across the, the room and going up and saying, Michelle, what are you doing here? And you, you, you're like, well, we, we, I, founded this or I founded that organization and I'm, I'm still working on it. So for, again, for me, it's been exciting to see where you've come from really the, the earliest days of that journey to where you are today. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can share some of that, some advice, because I, I'm also imagining that from where you came to today, there are probably some challenges and some bumpy parts in the road. And, but looking at your numbers, you're at 3 million users. And that's just, that's not even just in the United States. That's also including international users. So tell us some advice for people, for people who are listening and are listening to this for that kind of inspiration, but also that, that practical advice. What, what would you tell them? So first of all, I would say anyone can start something. And the first thing that you have to do is build it. And you can't be afraid of building it. So I think that that's where a lot of early stage entrepreneurs go wrong. And I, I remember like in those early stages, and I think back and I think, wow, I don't know if I would have, able, would have been able to do it again if I had to. Because um, you just have to be so focused. And there are so many ways that you can distracted. But the best thing that you can do and the best thing I think that I did was, you know, I was at Harvard and I had an independent study that I had to complete. And I spent all of my time on building it and making it work with a small population 
of which is at that time 200 students in nine classrooms. But because I did that early on and built something at a small scale that worked, that laid the foundation for everything else that came after it. Um, and I will say that it certainly hasn't been, you know, uh, all roses from the beginning. I mean, it's extremely challenging. You know, after I graduated uh, from Hussey, I worked and spent a year on my sofa. I remember you telling. <laughs> I remember you telling me that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I worked for free for an entire year, putting PDFs on a website. And How did you maintain your focus? How did you maintain your focus and your optimism? Because I also remember when meeting you for the first time, even at the TEDx, you're you're an incredibly optimistic person. How did you, and that came across, that came across at 1776. How, how did you maintain optimism in, in those, those early days that I'm sure were, or I can imagine, were probably also filled with a bit of uncertainty? I think I was just so focused on the impact that I was having. So every time I would get even one little tweet, from one teacher who heard about it in the early stages, just that little impact was kind of enough, it sounds crazy, to sustain my optimism. Um, and I just kept at it. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I did that for an entire year. Um, and the tipping point was really when I applied for and won the Teach for America Social Innovation Award. So that was back in 2015. It's a national award. Um, just a couple of entrepreneurs, alumni entrepreneurs, get it. Um, it's extraordinarily competitive. Um, and through that process, you know, I got to meet Wendy Kopp and wow. pitch her. Wow. And I remember I was just so inspired by her. And she, you know, read all my materials and looked at me. And she said, you know, this budget that I'm reading, it says you need hundred and forty thousand dollars and I said yeah um, thinking that that was so much money and she said no you need ten million dollars what and so she believed from the wow um, and so that really gave me the courage to just keep going and then the funding from that award um, enabled us to hire one person and what this is in 2015 that was in 2015 yeah. okay and then from from that point until now, I remember also, and I think it was at 1776, you said, found out about this grant. I'm putting together an application. And you ended up, this, this was a pretty large grant. How much was it? So we got a $3.89 million Department of Education federal award. Wow. Um, and so that was in October of 2016, which just transformed the organization. So that grew our company from three people to 20 people, um, which is just was great. So tell us a little bit about what is on the horizon for Common Lit. Sure. Um, so one of the things we're really thinking about is our international scale. Um, so today, 
you know, 95% of our users are here in the U.S. Um, and 73% of those users are low income schools. So what we're trying to figure out now and in the next few years is how can we duplicate that success in the international space? Um, and continue to grow, of course, in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we, you know, our mission and vision has expanded to a global vision, um, and we're excited to, to learn more about this context. So, Michelle, how can people who are listening find out more about Common Lit across the different social platforms, your website, and also uh, learn a little bit more about you as well? Sure, absolutely. Um, so CommonLit is free at commonlit.org. Um, I have to have a plug for our careers page because we are growing, we are hiring. Um, so please visit commonlit.org slash careers to learn more. Um, and then you can reach out to me directly on Twitter at CommonLit or at Michelle Eileen, which is my personal. Um, and I would love to connect. Thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time to share with us uh, information on your organization and in, in particular your, your growth over the past three years. I think it's really exciting for our listeners to hear about that journey because it may help them think about their own journey and reflect on where they're going, where they want to go, and hopefully, actually I'm sure, you've provided some of our listeners with some serious inspiration. So thank you so much, Michelle. Yeah, thank you so much, Vanessa. This has really been fun.